Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Fellowship Bible Church. I'm Pastor Scott, and it is a big football day, isn't it? Woo-hoo! Yeah! Whoa, it's the lights. Blinded me. Couldn't see. Um, big football day. Um, I don't know if you guys may be watching the game today, but uh, I, think, I think back to big football moments. And um, I think of one particular football moment that I think will set up our sermon, our talk today, rather nicely. So it was July of 1961. And uh, the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first day of training camp. And uh, they came together for training camp, and they had just come together from a heartbreaking loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles beat the Packers in the 1960 championship uh, Lost with a, they had a lead in, late in the fourth quarter, and the Eagles came back to win. And the entire offseason, the Packers were dwelling on that. And they were thinking about what they had to do to, like, just get to the next point and improve and, and uh, just get to that level of excellence they needed to, to win the championship. And that's what they were thinking about all offseason. And they just had to do some fine-tuning and a couple tweaks. And if they made these, fine, these fine-tuning tweaks, they're going to win the championship. Well, their coach, Vince Lombardi, had a different idea when he walked into training camp in the summer of 1961. He started training camp with a very interesting sentence where he said this, to his team of professional football players. Gentlemen, this is a football. That's how he started. And as you read different reports, the whole room is kind of like, what's going on? Looking around. And he started from the very beginning and shared with his Packers the basics, the fundamentals of football. Not just what exactly a football is, but how to tackle. They went through it. How to run a route. They went through it. He stripped down the whole game to the bare essentials of what exactly football is. And in his mentality, he said, if we can be the best at what every other team in the league takes for granted... No one can stop us. Well, that's what happened. Because six months later, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37-0 to win the NFL championship. But for Lombardi, ready, Jeff? Ready? Yep. There you go. There you go. Did you guys see that spiral? <laughs> Canadian. Uh, but, 
So for the Packers, it was all about the fundamentals and the basics. And it's interesting, as we go through the book of Acts here, learning about the fundamentals, the basics. It's like this history book of the book of Acts gives us a lesson on how things started, what made the church what it was, and gives us great lessons to think about for us today. Could you please stand with me as we read God's word? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts 2, 42. Turn your Bible to Acts 2.42, either your paper Bible or your electronic Bible, Acts 2.42, and it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of God. Please be seated. So, as Chris was sharing with us last week, that great Pentecost sermon that Peter preached, where 3,000 people trusted Christ, and how do they know that? Because 3,000 people got baptized. Um, 3,000 people trusted Christ, 3,000 people got baptized, and now suddenly these 3,000 people are in a scenario where, okay, now we got to get going in the work of the Lord. And so Luke, as he's describing what happens, kind of writes, writes, what exactly were these 3,000 people doing? They weren't just sitting around. They got to work. They got involved in the things that God was doing, And in this passage, we learn some fundamentals. We learn some basics of of what church is. We learn kind of church 101 in this passage. And I think there's kind of four foundational pillars that I just want to start with to help us better understand the mechanics of what church was. Pillar number one would be, as you see on the screen there, teaching. Teaching was pillar number one where It says in the text that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Teaching. So the apostles were sharing with them God's truth that they themselves had received from Christ. Teaching from Scripture is foundational to so much of what we do here at Fellowship Bible Church. In the breadth of our ministries, what you're going to hear and see is open your Bible. Open your Bible, because teaching from the scriptures is really all we have to give. If you aren't giving them the word, what are you giving them, right? If you're not giving them the word, what are you giving them? So the scripture is really important. Um, But accordingly, also, fellowship was really important. Fellowship for these believers was the opposite of isolation. It's like this revival broke out, basically, 
And all these believers didn't really scatter. That scattering would come later, Acts 8, Acts 9. They didn't really scatter. They kind of clustered together and they, and they learned together and they were fellowship, fellowshipping together. It was purposeful engaging in gospel-based community. You know, for us, fellowship isn't just in our name. Fellowship is something we want to be doing all the time. I'm so thankful that we have a church where fellowship is important. Because if you're new here, what you're going to notice after church today, people are not jetting to the parking lot. The vast majority of people stay right here and just talk and hang out and encourage each other. It's a great thing. Thankful for that. Fellowship was very important. It was the second big pillar. And as we had this morning together, communion, the breaking of bread, the act of commemorating and celebrating the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and looking to his second coming. And as Pastor Justin led us through, communion is something that we do monthly here. And we pause as a body to reflect on who Christ is and the fact that Christ is coming back and communion is one of the pillars of our church. And as Justin also mentioned, prayer. Prayer is a pillar of the church. Prayer is the intentional communication with God by which we draw our power as a church. By which we draw our power as a church. No prayer, no power. Convicting. Prayer is something that we try to focus on in our worship service. If you've been here for any length of time, you'll notice that about every four or five weeks, we stop as a congregation and we pray. And probably some of you have even prayed with people that are around you right now um, during our congregational prayer times, which is something that we want to grow in and and focus on more intently as, as the year goes on. Teaching, fellowship, communion, prayer, four pillars of the church, and these pillars are important. But what I want to share with you this morning is the importance not just of these four things and what we do. What I really want us to focus on is how we go about these four things. Or more specifically, the heart attitude behind which we go about these four things. Which for me, as I was in my study this week, was very convicting for me as I went through this. The heart attitude of these four pillars. Because it can be really easy for us as believers to check off four boxes. It can be really easy for us as a church to check off four boxes, and that's how we sleep at night. I'm not convinced that is completely honoring to the Lord. And I think you'll see in this passage why. Because look at this passage with me. You see it on the screen there you're going to see some attitudes that the church had as a part of their commitment to these four pillars, like devotion, awe, generosity, an attitude and spirit of togetherness, and joy and praise. So they were going about the four things. But as a body of Christ, these believers were going through these four things with a hard attitude that was just filled with Jesus. 
I mean, they had just came through such an incredible moment where all these people had trusted Christ because Pentecost had led all these people to the Lord and it was a semi-fulfillment, a beginning of fulfilling of the day of the Lord and it was fulfilling prophecy and it was pretty awesome. All the things that God was doing and in their hearts, they were learning about the Messiah and being drawn to the Messiah and realizing for the first time who Jesus is all about. These attitudes are just as important as the pillars because, church, listen, we can sit on our teaching but never grow in our passion for God. We can hang out together but never grow in our accountability or care. We can share in communion but we never share anything else. We can pray, but maybe not a lot of joy and praise. So it'd be incorrect to say that if we go about these things you see in black on the screen, it'd be incorrect to say that if we just do these four things, God's going to blow the doors off this church. No. What I would submit to you is that doing these four things And the spirit in which you do these four things is just as important. In fact, as I was thinking this week about teaching and fellowship and the breaking bed and and prayer, I was thinking of some words that Jesus and the Apostle Paul had to people that were greatly involved in teaching, that were involved in fellowship, where communion was happening and prayer, and Jesus sometimes did not have very affirming words for religious people that were doing these things to check boxes. In fact, Jesus oftentimes had not very good words to religious people that would listen to the law of Moses, but really never do it. And would criticize people for hanging out with other people. And now Paul would talk about how the church would get together and do communion, but it was so ho-hum, no passion. Jesus did not have good things to say about people that just showed up to pray but had no relationship with the Lord. So really important that these four things don't become sources or opportunities for legalism for us as a church. What's Equally important is the attitude that we go about these things, which is what I really want us to focus on in our next minutes here together. When these things go together in conjunction with each other, I think that's when you can start to say as a church, look out. God is about to do something special. Maybe even revival. Christ-centered church has the attitude, first, of devotion to their Savior. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Devotion to their Savior. You see that right there at the first part of the text. Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devotion is a common New Testament word that indicates a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course 
of of, uh, action. Luke uses it elsewhere in Acts to indicate resoluteness, resolve, focus to the commands of Christ, a devotion, an allegiance, a single-mindedness, a passion, a desire, a sold-outness, that this is what I want to do, and, and this is the desire, and this is the passion of my life. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. There was this devotion that permeated the church. Devotion to Christ is the greatest need of the Western church. The Western church is constantly being inundated with the lure of idols. Worship competition. Boy, the Western church has got programs figured out. The Western church has got organization for events figured out. But maybe if the Lord were to write a letter to the Western church, he might say something like this. John of Revelation 2, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, where Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and you have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Pretty good church, right? Church has got it all together, right? But Jesus says this to the Ephesian church. Nevertheless, I had this against you. You have left your first love. Jesus doesn't want primarily our programs. He wants primarily our passion, church. He doesn't want us just showing up for studies to fill our minds with biblical knowledge and never put it in action during the week or in showing love to our neighbor. We're no different from the Pharisees in that scenario. He wants a passion for Christ. So Jesus tells us, Ephesian church, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. I wonder if Christ would write that exact letter to FBC. Boy, FBC... Boy, it looks like you got it all together. Boy, you got all the programs all right. You got all the right people in place. But where's your love and passion for me? I hope he wouldn't write that to us. I hope he wouldn't. But in this admonition you see on the screen to the Ephesian church, I think it's a good reminder to keep fresh in your mind the gospel story. To remember where you came from. To repent of where we haven't been and go back and do the things that Christ wants us doing. Good reminders for us in our devotion, in our devotion to Christ.
Christ-centered church as an attitude of devotion to their Savior, but a Christ-centered church also is at awe at what God is doing. They are in awe at what God is doing. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You know, God was working amazingly in this early church. People were being healed. Demons were being cast out. There were unusual things to see. I mean, it was a pretty awesome time. And it was like every day was like something new that God was doing. And you know what? It can be easy for us 2,000 years later in the Western church to say something like this. Well, God was working then. But is God really working now? We can sometimes think that way. Sometimes the Western church can treat very casually ways that God is working and moving. Did you know that every day in our ministries here at FBC, as the word of God is open and Christ is proclaimed, Did you know that every day in our ministries here, which we have ministry happening every day of the week here at our church, every day of the week, did you know every time that God's word is open and Christ is proclaimed that the Holy Spirit is working, moving, convicting, changing? We can sometimes get caught up in the sensational, the big stuff. But did you know that in the last four weeks at our church, God provided the funds to pay our bills and then some? In the last four weeks, we shared the truth of Christ and his word with hundreds of students in our FBC ministries. In the last four weeks, God was doing a major work in the lives of our men and their discipleship groups. In the last four weeks, God was drawing women closer to him through things like mops and various studies. All in the last four weeks, the Holy Spirit was working through all of these situations. And even right now in this moment, the Holy Spirit is working. Working in many of your hearts. Convicting. Drawing you closer to him. Making more real Christ. Man, the Holy Spirit is working. He's working in our church. God is working at Fellowship Bible Church in a pretty awesome way. But as I interact with many of you, God's working in a lot of your families. God's working in a lot of your marriages. Hey, students, God's working in a lot of your lives too. God is working. We sometimes forget that. We forget all the things that God is doing. But a good reminder for us is, Don't just look for the big things. Look for all the ways that you can see the Spirit of God working. Look for all the ways. And I'd recommend that you be in awe of that. It's a motivating and encouraging way to go about life. That you take the time every day to reflect on what God is doing. In fact, if you took just a few moments every day and just think about all the ways that God is currently working in your life. It'd be pretty awe-inspiring. It really would. It would stir your heart. Even in tough times, it would stir your heart and increase your devotion to him. A Christ-centered church has an attitude of devotion. A Christ-centered church has an attitude of awe at what God is doing. 
You also see in the text that a Christ-centered church has an attitude of generosity. Generosity with what God has entrusted to you. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had any need. Interesting. The early church was a generous church. Now, this isn't like early forms of communism or socialism where they were being forced to do this. This is totally on their own accord. This is the Holy Spirit working their hearts, and they see people with significant needs around them and saying, boy, there's people that have needs. What can I do to help? What can I do? Well, I got this over here. I probably don't really need this. What can I do to help? It's interesting. Two different Greek words here are used for possessions and belongings and seem to indicate it could have been referring to property, which would lead you into Acts 5. You'll see that in an upcoming week. Property and personal belongings. The point was they had an attitude of giving generously and it saturated the entire church. You know, we just had a financial update up here. Great financial update. Some things we got to grow in as a church. You know, and those four pillars, there's things we got to grow in. We got to grow in the, in, the, in the areas of those four pillars. Absolutely. Sometimes finances can be a touchy subject in church life, right? Ever been to a cantankerous church meeting where there was finances discussed? Maybe, maybe. But you know what? Finances in church doesn't really have to be a touchy subject. Do you know why that is? Because none of it is yours. Now, that might have come as a shock to some of you. Psalm 24, 1 and 2, very clearly says, it's all God's. All of it. You don't actually have anything. All your cash, all your savings, all your investments, your house or your houses, it's all his. Even the eagle jersey on your back. It's his. It's his. It's his. None of it's yours. None of it. God allows you to steward it for a short period of time. With that mentality... How could that change how you think about generosity? It's not mine. I've got to steward it right. I've got to steward it well. But it's not mine. Right? Missionary Jim Elliott said this. Who was martyred? Missionary Jim Elliott said this. America's condemnation is written on their bank books and the dust in their Bible covers. That's coming from a man who took a spear for Christ. God 
loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9.2. God loves a cheerful giver. Well, that word there can be translated different ways, like hilarious. God loves a cheerful giver, where whether in your church center app or the black box that you see in the back here or some other way, when you give whatever it is God has led you to give, you do it with like great joy. It's like when you hit that send button in the church center app for that giving amount, you're like, yes. Right? Some of you in here find great joy in giving and you love to do it. And it's awesome when you get to give. It's awesome. God wants every person in here, regardless of your financial circumstances, to be giving to his work with joy. It is a joy to participate in God's work. Parents, start to model this for your kids. Start to help your kids understand the stewardship of their money, that they're using their money to give, even if it's five cents, 10 cents, 25 cents, it doesn't matter. It's that I want to participate in the work of the Lord. I want to worship the Lord with my giving. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. Devotion to their Savior. Awe at all the things God is doing. Generosity with what God's entrusted to you. Togetherness with the people that God has placed around you. Verse 46. Look at verse 46 in your Bible. And day by day, attending the temple, together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Together. This is more than just believers just hanging out, which, not a bad thing. Great for believers to hang out. This is more than this. This is togetherness centered on the truths of Scripture. This is togetherness that is based on the gospel. This is a brotherhood, a sisterhood based on Christ that is a, such a unique bond that really can't be replicated anywhere else in the world. The plan of God is for believers to be out sharing the gospel in the world, but to never lose their sense of togetherness based on the commonality of Christ. What's the reality? The reality is this world is becoming more and more hostile to Christ. The reality is is that we live in a generation that probably is no longer just post-Christian. We are probably living in a generation now that is now anti-Christian. And you see it more and more. I mean, think it's bad now. Just wait for 10 years from now. Which is going to mean we're going to need each other now more than ever. Which is going to mean some of the petty little things that used to get you upset don't get you upset anymore because we're family and boy, do we need each other. We need each other. We need each other now more than ever. We have a commonality that exists that the world knows nothing of. Like, you've got commonality as Eagles fans, right? This goes so much deeper than that because it's based on who Christ is. It's like, you ever, like, travel and, like, you accidentally bump into a believer? What happens? 
Instant commonality. It's like instantly, oh, it's, it's a brother. It's a brother in Christ. It's this instant commonality, and that's what we have. And, and really, the New Testament talks about the fact that that brotherhood, that community, should be so attractive to a people that have no concept of this. Where they see it, and they're like, wow, those guys are gelled. Yeah, because of our bond in Christ. Believer, listen close. Dangerous things happen in your life spiritually when you remove yourself from the fellowship of other believers. Yeah, yes, definitely believers on a Sunday morning, for sure. But also the fellowship part of a small group. There's accountability. There's sharpening that you just can't get on your own. One of the fastest ways to see a spiritual decline in your life is to walk away from Christian fellowship. Parents, I can't stress to you enough the importance of keeping your kids plugged into Christian fellowship. Parents, when you make a very difficult, when you make it very difficult for your kids to attend events at the church because you've programmed their lives to be filled with everything but church, do not be surprised when they walk away from church. Because we've seen it time and time again. Which doesn't mean just showing up at church is the solution for being connected to Christ. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you set your kids up so much better when you give them a God-based foundation in their life. This sports is going to be here and gone. Can I share with you some blunt news? Your kid's not going to the NBA. That can be a tough pill to swallow. Which, not anti-sports at all. At all. Not at all. Not at all. Priorities. Priorities. You got things in the right order. And why is it that with many New Jersey families, church is a little further down the list? Parents, we always got to work on that. Constantly evaluating. Growing in our togetherness. The early church, they had an attitude of devotion. The early church had an attitude of awe at what God was doing. The early church had an attitude of generosity. The early church had an attitude of togetherness. And the early church was filled with joy and praise for all that God had provided. Joy. It was just a natural outflow of the Holy Spirit. It was a fruit of the Holy Spirit, this joy that they had. They couldn't stop it. They couldn't contain it. It was like the Holy Spirit had filled them up. And what was coming out of them was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They couldn't help themselves. Because God was working it in them and they couldn't help but get it out. When you practice in your life devotion to Christ, when you practice in your life awe what all God is doing. When you practice in your life generosity to other believers, when you practice in your life togetherness, joy and praise will be the results. Always. Always. 
Doesn't mean there aren't tough times. Yes, there's difficult times. But as you go through these tough times with joy and praise, you're walking with the Lord and being such an example to other people. This was the early church. Devotion. Devotion to their Savior. Awe at what God is doing. If you guys could just advance the next slide for me. Generosity. Togetherness. Joy and praise along with the four pillars. Just doing the four pillars without these things? Legalism. This is what should be welling up in our hearts. This is what's honoring to the Lord. And one day when you stand before the Lord at the Bema seat, it won't be because you checked boxes. It's because you had a genuine passion for the Lord and were striving to serve him. Boy, this is what I want in my life. This is what we as elders want as a church. We don't want to be a church that's full of programs. We want to be a church that is in awe of who Jesus is. And that we're a community of believers that can boldly declare how Jesus has changed our lives. And when that attitude is present in your life, it just impacts all that you do as a church. Then you're not having to drag people to serve. And then you're not having to drag people to go on a missions trip. And then you're not having to like compel people to put money in an offering plate. It's just coming from inside your heart and you can't stop it. Wouldn't you love to be there as a church? I think we're close. I think we're really close. And I'm just naive enough to believe, like maybe a little bit of what you're seeing right now in Kentucky, I'm just naive enough to believe that maybe there's a few more revivals that need to happen in America before he comes back. Why not right here with us? Why not? Start right now with us. Could you just bow your heads, please? Please just pause and just think about what we just talked about. Revival has to start with you. With you. And it spreads throughout our whole church.
Do you want God in a new and mighty way to stir your heart right now? To bring you to closer devotion to Christ in your life? Is that your prayer? Would you just talk to God right now, just you and him? Would you just talk to God right now? If that's your prayer right now, would you talk to God about that right now? Father, I would pray in my own life. Lord, as I think about how routine Christianity can become for me. Lord, as I think about how I can just so easily fall into the trap of thinking that I'm where you want me to be because of the stuff that I do instead of the state of my heart. God, I repent to that. Lord, I want to turn from that. And Lord, I want to serve you because you filled my heart with your love. And Father, I pray for us as a church that you would just continue, Lord, to do a great work in our hearts. God, would you bring revival? Lord, if you would see fit, would you use our church to impact South Jersey and the world with the gospel? Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us, your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you use us Father, may we go from here reflecting on these truths and an attitude, Lord, that is just filled with Jesus that it, Lord, would be such a testimony to the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.